Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I am your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I was joined by Ryan from Jets Talk 24-7. We go over the Jets draft. We talk about the Jets preseason preview. Uh, We break down a few different issues related to the New York Jets, who I think are on the uptick. But before that, we're going to dive into this week's big idea, which is related directly to uh, identifying some old faces in new places this year. Whether you're an NFL obsessive who's been following every free agency signing or somebody who's just dipping their toes in again, uh, I want to identify some of the new shapes and faces on some of these teams that are really going to impact how we're betting on these teams come football season. So without further ado, let's dig in. As always, we begin with this week's big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, egghead? The big idea this week is pretty straightforward. This NFL offseason was unreal. There was so much player movement, it felt like the NFL really tapped into something that's made the NBA offseason really one of the more fun times of year the last several years. We saw quarterbacks on the move. We saw a lot of big trades, superstar level trades. So I want to talk about some teams that really redefine themselves and some players that you know who are now playing in different jerseys this upcoming season. And the reason I want to do this is because not everyone is constantly plugged into the NFL in the same way myself and a lot of the sports football media people are. So I want to account for that in talking about this. So let's begin with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I know we had a whole section on the Jaguars last week, and we we talked about it with Jaguar United, but I want to just briefly touch on some of the new faces there. So first off, offensive guard Brandon Scherf. We have Evan Ingram, tight end, Christian Kirk, Devin Lloyd, and Trayvon Walker, first-round picks in in the recent NFL draft. And perhaps most importantly, we have newcomer head coach Doug Peterson. And when I say newcomer, it's a newcomer to the state of Florida. This is a Super Bowl winning head coach. We know the pedigree there, but there are a lot of faces we've seen before, specifically in Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, and Brandon Scherf, who are coming into this team as guys who are being paid like difference makers. We'll certainly see whether they live up to that contract hype, but Trent Baalke, the general manager of the Jaguars, handed out $148 million in guarantees this year. So this is a high price point, but you have to acknowledge the fact that the Jaguars don't get free agents. They're a tough place to bring in talent. And when you draft a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence in the beginning of the first round, you need to immediately start surrounding him with difference makers. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't agree with a lot of the free agency signings that the Jaguars did this year, but at the very least, they're going for something, I guess. Now, I mentioned Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd, and these guys are rookies. These are guys coming in. They're not necessarily old faces, as I described before, but we did see them on college football's biggest stage, specifically Trayvon Walker with that Georgia defense last year. And these are two guys who are going to have to step up and become fast learners if the Jaguars are going to jump from being near the bottom of the league in basically every defensive efficiency measure to being a middle-of-the-road defensive team. So let's move on now to perhaps the biggest old face new place signing trading of the offseason. And that is Russell Wilson going from the Seattle Seahawks, where he spent his entire career, to the Denver Broncos. Anyone who follows the league closely knows that the Broncos have been circling the wagons for a top-tier quarterback for two years now. They may have diluted themselves into thinking they were going to get Aaron Rodgers. I certainly did. So Rodgers ultimately opting to re-sign with the Packers was likely a gut punch to that front office. 
But fortunately, the Broncos were still able to go out and get Russell Wilson. Russ was unhappy in Seattle, no matter how much he may have said things were all fine and dandy. The guy was straight up a below replacement level NFL quarterback to end last season. And we're going on two seasons now where Russell Wilson is removed from playing at a top tier level. If you remember two years ago, the start of 2020, he was playing at an MVP level. He was talking about how he had never received an MVP vote. He was dominating, was hitting DK Metcalf in the back of the end zone. They were a touchdown connection. We were in the prime let Russ cook era. But the whole let Russ cook thing faded away by the end of 2020. People forget, even though he had his statistical best season that year, this was a guy who was not really lighting the world on fire by year's end. I think that Russell Wilson has at this point of his career revealed himself to be a tier below some of the superstars we think about. So guys like Mahomes, guys like Aaron Rodgers, he has wanted to catapult himself to that level for some time. And he's certainly a media personality with all his incredibly self-indulgent and cringy videos. But I think that the Broncos in trading five draft picks, three in 2022 and then another two in 2023, as well as Noah Fant and some other useful players, have done a wonderful job convincing their fans that this is a win-now move. When in reality, I think that this Russell Wilson trade has a lot more to do with what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the Broncos being sold. So track this timeline a bit with me. February 1st, 2022. The Broncos announced that the team is being sold. This has sort of been in the mix for a few years now with a divorce going on behind the scenes. People in the know have been talking about it for some time, how Elway had unprecedented power within the organization in part due to a lack or a void in ownership. And now we're at a point where Elway's gone. The Broncos are being sold February 1st, 2022. Fast forward March 16th, 2022, and Russell Wilson is on his way to the Broncos. To me, this screams less of a win-now move and more of a please-buy-our-amazing-team with our very cool and very marketable quarterback move. So I want people to remember that as we get closer to the season that the Broncos may be living off the hype of Russell Wilson, whereas the roster is very similar to the one that we saw underperform the last two or three years. And that's to say nothing of new head coach Nathaniel Hackett, who, lest we forget, was fired in Jacksonville. So when looking at the roster this year, don't look at the Broncos and say, oh my God, they got Russell Wilson and a new head coach. How can I not bet on them to go on their overwin total? Think about it. And part of the reason why I'm not high on them is because I'm going to talk about some of the other teams that are division now. Let's start with the Raiders. The Raiders brought in Devontae Adams from the Green Bay Packers. They brought in Chandler Jones, outside linebacker from the Arizona Cardinals. And those are two immediate, tremendous difference makers on both sides of the ball. I have long been of the mind that Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. And for the last three years, he's been continually ascending. Even before he was putting up thousand yard seasons, he was such a tremendously talented receiver in the red zone that he was basically an auto touchdown if he was in the right matchup. So now at this point of his career, if you put him with Derek Carr, his former college quarterback, they played together at Fresno. We're talking about one of the more exciting combos in the league. On top of that, for a defense that was able to manufacture a pass rush with guys who weren't traditional stars last year, they're bringing in Chandler Jones to bring even more pressure. And when you play in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, that is exactly what you need, pressure. I mentioned Justin Herbert. Let's talk now about the Chargers. The Chargers were a team that also made the most of this offseason. They brought in a number of free agents, but I want to highlight two important old faces, new places here. And those are Khalil Mack on the edge, and J.C. Jackson, cornerback previously with the New England Patriots. 
J.C. Jackson was unequivocally, to me, the best cornerback on the market this year. I think that he's going to play an integral role in that shell-too-high defensive scheme that Brandon Staley made such tremendous use of back with the Rams a few years ago. And on top of that, you're now matching up Khalil Mack, who, let's all be honest, if anyone watched the Bears the past few years, you recognize the guy has lost a step. But you're putting him now in situational downs, hopefully, with one of the better young defensive ends in the league in Joey Bosa. Now, I know Joey Bosa was playing outside last year. He sort of flip-flopped around. But the guy is an undeniable talent. And if he can stay healthy and they can get the most out of Khalil Mack, and I think at this point of his career, that just means putting him in good situations, uh, then this is a team that's really going to be a contender to me. I, I think that the Chargers are going to make the most of their new faces, despite the fact that they're not as flashy as some of the other moves we've talked about and we're going to talk about. Now, finally, I want to talk about the Dolphins. The Dolphins are very, very similar to the Jaguars. We recently spoke about the Jaguars. Last week, we did a whole thing about how the Jaguars are setting up a similar situation to what Josh Allen had with the Bills a few years ago. They want to give their quarterback all these offensive weapons to see if he can sink or swim, to see whether they need to look to move on. Famously, Josh Allen took that opportunity and launched to the stratosphere as a talent. Now we have to look at whether Tua can get there himself. I need to read through this list briefly, but the, the Dolphins brought in Tyree Kill, wide receiver from the Chiefs, offensive tackle Teron Armstead from the Niners, Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys wide receiver, QB Teddy Bridgewater from the Broncos, Chase Edmonds from the Cardinals running back, and new head coach Mike McDaniel. And listen, if you bring in the best offensive tackle available and Tyreek Hill via trade, this is automatically a flashy class. But when you put that on top of some more under-the-radar signings like Cedric Wilson Jr., Teddy Bridgewater, and Chase Edmonds, I don't think the Dolphins really want to talk about it. But the skill players they brought in here really also work very well with what Teddy Bridgewater does well as a quarterback. Between Waddle, Tyree Kill, and Cedric Wilson, we're talking about fast guys who excel after the catch and who can make something out of these shorter, more precise throws. On top of that, just by being there, Teron Armstead takes an offensive line that was ranked near the bottom in basically every category last year, from the basement to, at the very least, the middle of the road line. And that is the kind of thing that can lead to a team jumping in wins, jumping in competitiveness, just going from things you're terrible at to being middle of the road and then excelling and increasing the things that really work for you can be the difference between being a playoff contending team and being a constant disappointment. So this has been our Old Faces, New Places primer. Whether you're listening to this concurrently in May of 2022 or you're listening closer to the season, I want you to keep a lot of these roster moves in mind in assessing these teams preseason. And without further ado, here's my chat with Ryan from Jets Talk 24-7. I am here with Ryan from Jets Talk 24-7. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to talking some football. So let's talk the Jets. Uh, you are a Jets content creator. You're somebody who, who follows a team. Uh, what are your thoughts post-Jets draft? Obviously, there's a lot of buzz about how they managed to nail Sauce Gardner, Gardner uh, early in the draft. Everyone's coming out of this draft saying they want it. So what are your takes? I'm genuinely shocked at how good this draft went because I had Jermaine Johnson going 10 or 4 to the New York Jets. So to get him at 26 was just such an amazing thing to have happen. Like if you could show me the Jets draft now prior to the draft, I'd be like, who set up this PFN pro football focus mock draft? I was like, there's no way this is going to happen. The Jets get the top corner, yeah. the top wide receiver, the top running back, one of the top edge rushers and like a hometown favorite in Jeremy Ruckert. That was Chris Sims tight end one. I 
blown away. Amazing. <laughs> Joe Douglas crushed it. So I, I talked a little bit about this in my last episode, um, but I, I think that in the post-Gase years, the Jets really have this kind of stink to them where people are having a difficult time separating uh, those Gase seasons, those long, dark period uh, from what they've been building the last two years. So are, are you optimistic going into this season that they're going to continue to build what Saleh and that staff were putting together at the end of last year? It's nice kind of seeing a different approach from our GM because Mark Sanchez, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold drafted the quarterback and then took away their weapons or didn't surround him with weapons with Zach Wilson. It seems like Joe Douglas and Robert Sala just said, hey, we are giving you absolutely everything. This is the deepest our tight end room has been since I've been watching the team. Deepest wide receiver room, deepest running back room. Our offensive line seems stout, probably the best offensive line since we had since 2009, 2010. Um, so it's, it's nice to kind of see that transformation. We have an edge rusher for the first time since 2005 or whatever. It's been a, a long grind for Jet fans, and I think a lot of fans are fed up with, oh, we're rebuilding. We've been rebuilding for like 10 years, but every time you change a coaching staff, it like resets that rebuild. And it seems like Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are kind of in lockstep, and you see the reactions between every pick and like the, them hugging and like just the behind-the-scenes stuff is really cool because you don't see a whole lot of that from other teams, and yeah. it seems like the Jets are a more fun team to play for right now because of all these top picks we've had the last two years. I think that Saleh, for, for whatever struggles that team had last year, at the very least, did a phenomenal job building a culture. And everywhere he's been, people seem to have that takeaway from working with him, that he's a culture-setting guy. So I, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that, where like even I, I saw a lot of those videos of the, the Jets staff sort of reacting to these picks, and they, they seem to be as fired up as Jets fans are. Um, so I, I just think that him and that staff have really done a good job culture setting that whole team like I'm a Steelers fan uh Tomlin is not an X's and O's coach per se but he has built one of the best cultures in, in the sport over the last 15 years just in terms of uh guys checking their egos at the door until they don't anymore but uh it, it's still one of those things yeah it's definitely a bigger part of scheming than I think a lot of teams give credence to yeah our free agents Robert Sellis said it after our free agent class came in and it was one of those things we didn't go after the highest paid guys. We didn't go after the guys that wanted the highest paychecks. We went after guys that wanted to be here. Guys like Whitehead, guys like DJ Reed. Uh, it was really nice to kind of see that spin on things. Lakin Tomlinson comes in, shores up our uh, left guard position. Elijah Vera Tucker moves over to the right-hand side. So it's nice kind of seeing that mentality. And you, you, you look at the players that have come in. They fought hard the entire season. You get guys that are contributing from all areas. And not even just our free agent class and our draft class. But we're getting four players back that were supposed to be on our roster last year that were top uh, projected to be top performers in Mackay Becton, Carl Lawson, Vinnie Curry and LaMarcus Joyner. So on top of everything the Jets have added, they're adding four more key positions as well. You mentioned the tight end room and, and they, they got this guy, Jeremy Rucker, the Long Island kid uh, in, in the third round. And I didn't realize they had also sort of signed two tight ends who I think are more of the underappreciated receiving tight ends in the league and Tyler Conklin and uh, CJ Uzuma. It's sort of an interesting thing they're building there because so much of the time we see these young quarterbacks rely on their tight ends. And now there's an embarrassment of riches in that regard. Yeah, it's been a long time. You come from Wesco and Griffin and Croft from last year into two starting tight ends and then arguably one of the better receiving threat tight ends coming out in the draft or well-rounded uh, tight ends in the draft because he can block, he can he can go out and catch, and he was underutilized at Ohio State. And I'm I'm excited to see how his dynamic with Garrett Wilson being teammates in college, how that sort of interacts with with the team. And then you see 
when we selected Jeremy Ruckert, his dad going crazy, they're yeah. Jet fans from Long Island. When I was a kid growing up, I was Wayne Corbett in the backyard. That was me catching passes from my dad. It was just something that it will always hold near and dear to my heart. And seeing Jeremy Ruckert have that passion and seeing like a Jet fan become a, a team player here and a guy that is likely to contribute, maybe not right away, but definitely uh, in seasons to come, it's, it's exciting to see and it's fun. So I'm curious, the, the Jets took uh, Brees Hall in, in round two. Um, how do you see that backfield shaking out between Brees Hall and Michael Carter this year? It's going to be impressive. This was something I think took a lot of Jet fans by surprise. There were a lot of fans that did want the running back early because you saw the top guy on the board. Um, I thought they would probably address it in the third or fourth round, you know, when there's maybe a little more value. But they saw Brees Hall and they were like, hey, this guy is going to absolutely be the thunder to Michael Carter's lightning. And you get guys that can block out of the backfield. You can get guys that can catch out of the backfield. Brees Hall had like 1,700 yards all purpose each of the last two years, 23 touchdowns each of the last two years. I think you'll probably see him. He he can be a three down back and he could take 75% of the carries. But I think the benefit of having Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman is that he doesn't have to do that. He can stay fresh longer into the season. He can stay fresh longer into games. So I envision something like a 50% carries for Brees Hall, 35% carries for Michael Carter, kind of try to keep him a little bit healthier. Um, he was a split carry back in college too. So it kind of goes back to that role. And then you have Tevin Coleman that can kind of step in in case someone goes down or, you know, maybe the rest of the running back room kind of picks up that remaining 15% uh, of the touches. And I think it provides a situation for the New York Jets that you can get to second and four, you can get to second and three, like those types of downs and distances where you can really utilize play action. The Jets wanted to run some uh, heavy personnel sets, the two tight end sets, run the ball, ball control last year with their young quarterback. And we just didn't have the horses in the stable and we didn't have the offensive line gelled together yet. So bringing in the tight ends and the running backs in conjunction will open up the play action game and will open up the rest of the field for Zach Wilson. So it's, it's exciting. If Zach doesn't take a step up, then I think it's a little more telling than anything else. But I think we're putting him in a prime position with the running back room. I'm happy you brought that up because I think the Jets seem to have bought into the notion of what the Bills did a few years ago. Because if you remember, um, Josh Allen and Darnold came in that same year together. And there seemed to have been an organizational sort of differing ideologies in terms of how the Jets built their roster versus how the Bills built their roster. I mean, Clearly, the Bills did a better job of it, but I, I think at the time you could say that they got him a, a running back to kind of build around uh, in bringing Le'Veon Bell, uh, Darnold at least, whereas the Bills went in and got these receivers, uh, John Brown, before they even got Diggs to sort of see how he would progress with certainly John Brown. I wouldn't call him a number one receiver, but he's a guy who's been in that role multiple times in his career and has allowed quarterbacks to sort of thrive in that role. So it's interesting now that after all these years, the Jets have sort of come and seen what the bills have done and now we're like i think it's a good idea to put our rookie quarterback around as many weapons as possible to see at the very least whether he's any good and it's interesting also that we're looking at the dolphins in that division as well as a team who are doing the exact same thing so i'm curious going into year two how are you feeling about zach wilson i know that he had some flashes last year but it was a very up and down year and jets fans are divided on this so so how are you feeling so you brought up a really good point about the, the Buffalo Bills and Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and that whole building process, because I was watching the Bills build that team. And I was like, man, that's what I want the Jets to do. And our previous GM was very high on Jamal Adams and Marcus May in the same draft. They was, he was very high on, uh, you know, bringing in these outside free agents like a Tremaine Johnson, a Le'Veon Bell. 
uh, CJ Mosley, paying them a ton of money and throwing off the culture inside your locker room. So one thing that I've sort of always said is when you pay guys outside your locker room enormous contracts, the guys inside the locker room are saying like, hey, well, I've been a Jet. I'm looking to get that same kind of money. And you saw that happen with Jamal Adams. And now with Joe Douglas here, you're seeing more of a build through the draft, build through you know our coaching and everything, build that part up, and then bring in guys that can complement your draft class in free agency. So I really like what the Jets are doing. I think they're surrounding their young quarterback with a ton of talent. The offensive line was clearly a priority. We hadn't taken a first-round offensive lineman in years, and then we followed up with back-to-back picks in Mekhi Becton and um, Elijah Vera Tucker, and then you bring in Lakin Tomlinson, a Pro Bowl guard this year. George Fant, who we got from Seattle, was playing like a top-10 left tackle last year. So the Jets' offensive line has been shored up, the running back room, the tight ends, the wide receivers. So when I'm looking at Zach Wilson – I'm expecting a step up. I want to see seven wins as like the floor. And I think it's really possible. I'm pretty sure Vegas has us at five and a half wins right now. And I'd be slamming that over like yes. right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like someone that bets on the Jets at all. And I know we have a hard schedule this year, but it's just hard for me to envision him not taking a step forward. There were situations last year at like the beginning of the year, he was forcing the ball. He's playing hero ball. And then as you get into the season, you saw like after the injury, you got to see, hey, Uh, he had one play where he threw it at his running back as he was running towards the line of scrimmage and it bounced off his back and a team intercepted it. Yeah. And then the following, I don't know if it was the next week or two weeks later, he had the same type of situation. You saw him kind of pump and he held it and it was like, okay, he recognized not to do that. Yeah. Another thing later on is like, okay, you're catching 12 men on the field for the defense, rush to the line of scrimmage, get that penalty. Yeah. Or he starts working the hard count. He starts getting guys to jump off sides. Like there's these little intricacies that are starting to happen. And I think, you got to see the physical talent of him, the arm strength, the escapability. And I think this year, with an understanding of the playbook, some comfort with his wide receivers, the only receiver he really had the entirety of last year was Braxton Barrio. So you have you know, a connection with Corey Davis now. You have a connection with Elijah Moore now. You bring in Garrett Wilson. You bring in these tight ends. I think there's a real expectation of the Jets and Zach Wilson really taking that step forward. And I think if you can get 230 yards a game from him or so on average that puts him right around 4,000 yards and then I think if you can get like a two to one touchdown interception ratio like maybe it's 20 to 10 Zach Wilson last year had a really weird stat and I don't know it off the top of my head exactly but it was like something like six receptions (laughs) ended on the one yard line like it was just an absurdly weird stat that's like that doesn't happen those should be touchdowns And then he had a bunch of plays that were, you know, dropped balls. I think he had the highest percentage of catchable balls dropped last year. So there's a lot of hidden growth that is there that, you know, box stat guys just aren't going to see. It's exciting to see. I'm cautiously optimistic because I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket. But the Jets are building it the right way. I had seen that stat as well. I don't recall it off the top of my head either about uh, Zach Wilson sort of having these one yard line plays. So I think he's definitely due for some positive touchdown regression. And the Jets were competitive last year in various games. I mean, they beat the team that went to the Super Bowl. They beat the team that was the one seed. So it's not like this team was laying down, which in a lot of the prior Jet seasons with Gase, they, they likely would have. I'm interested to see now what this team looks like second year in the Sali system with all these weapons. So you said, and I'm glad you brought it up, the, the Jets over under is at five and a half. Uh, and and you, you believe that that is an over right now. You'd be taking that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first year with, uh, you know, Adam Gase or the last year with Adam Gase, we had two wins. Last year we had four wins. And the Jets took Tampa Bay like down to the wire. It took a last second play to lose that game. And I really think the way the Jets built the team, not just on offense, 
but like on defense as well, we've built it where we should have no excuses, but to control the ball on offense and score more points, have more drives end in touchdowns and end in points on the defensive side of the ball. If we can wind up scoring those points, we've built it where we have our edge rushers coming back in. Uh, you move John Franklin Myers from DN back into his natural position at D tackle. You have Carl Lawson coming back, Vinnie Curry coming back, uh, Jermaine Johnson coming in. You bring in Solomon Thomas in free agency to pair with Quinn and Williams uh, and JFM. And then you bring in Sauce Gardner, Whitehead, DJ Reed, guys that are going to create some pressure on the back end of things. And if you can get the pressure on the quarterback from teams having to pass the ball, you're going to get some opportunities for some interceptions because last year the Jets couldn't score any points. They had teams just running the ball down their throats. There was really no way for the Jets to, to get off the field. And I think you can help your offense by helping your defense and playing ball control on the offensive side of the ball to keep your defensive players fresh. So I think there is a really good shot they're going over five and a half wins. I, I would be very surprised if it didn't happen. Now this tends to my, my follow-up question. How do you see the AFC East shaking out? You're, you're a Jets fan. You've seen what some of these other teams are building. We know what the Bills are in terms of being a Super Bowl contender. We see the Dolphins sort of following that similar Bills-Jets path where they're, they're putting a lot of weapons around their young quarterback to see whether he's got it or not. And the Pats are the Pats. So how do you see that division shaking out? I still think the Bills are the cream of the crop. They're a team that should be in the, the Super Bowl conversation. The AFC in general has just become absolutely stacked. You look at all the quarterbacks across the, you know, the different divisions. You got Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Herbert, Wilson, Allen, Lamar Jackson, like Burrow, like all these guys that are across the, the AFC. And I look at the other three quarterbacks outside of Josh Allen in the AFC East. And I look at Mac Jones. I look at uh, Zach Wilson and I look at Tua Tagovailoa and I'm not super concerned about Mac Jones. I'm not super concerned about Tua. Like they don't threaten me with any athletic skill set. They're they're good and I think they can be successful in this league, but I think Zach Wilson, while he may bust, is the athletic profile you need to at least compete in the AFC. So from that perspective, I'm really looking forward to it. And then I'm just kind of hoping you see a little bit of regression, you know, from the from Tua, from Mac Jones, and the Jets can at least be competitive in in some of these games because we've gotten blown out in different games. I was at the home opener for the Jets last year, and the the friggin' Patriots had like three interceptions on Zach Wilson in like the first half, and it just sucked the wind right out of our sails. Yeah. So I think if you know we play a little smarter on the offensive side of the ball, and we can control our turnovers and our mistakes. And we can just kind of score points and take care of business on our side of the ball. I'm not overly concerned on the Patriots and the and the Dolphins. I think at the very least we should split those. We haven't won a division game, I think, in like two years. So it's it's been quite some time. Quite the accomplishment from the Jets. Oh yeah. <laughs> Regression for Tua, man. If he regresses anymore, he's gonna be wearing a leather helmet out there. I don't know. I I think that Tua, I'm hopeful at least that he'll show some progression at least. Well, the team that I'm selling a lot on is the Pats. I think the Pats are being overhyped because they're the Patriots. Um, and I think that if you look at a lot of the underlying metrics from last year, they were a pretty fortunate team to be where they were. Listen, running the ball down everyone's throats, that's a, a formula that tends to work. But I don't know that I would be, like you said, concerned about Mac Jones and what that team was showing at the end of the year. They got pulverized in the playoffs because, let, let's be frank, they just weren't on that level. The, the Jets, to me, have so much more talent, at the very least, than, than the Pats, who also lost J.C. Jackson. This is a team that is not the same team we were looking at last year. So I want to run a quick thing by you. I sprinkled some money on the Jets to finish in third. In the AFC, you can get it on DraftKings, I think, for plus 330 or something like that. Because the way I see that division shaking out is, whether it be the Dolphins or the Pats, I think one of them is going to 
uh, bottom out, and one of them is going to be competitive. So I'm curious, what do you think of that? Are you buying into that narrative that I have here that the Jets could be the third place team? I do. I, I genuinely do. I don't know which way it goes. Like for me, it could be Dolphins or Patriots. I really like. It. I don't know. It's it's so tough. I do think the Jets can finish third. I think there's an off chance they can finish second, but I do think third is realistic at this point. I think there's a very strong motivation. I think there's something weird with the Patriots. They gave away like the fourth best guard yeah. in the NFL for a fourth round pick. And then they trade up into the first round to get someone who most people considered like a third round pick guard. And then JC Jackson, you lose him and you look at his interceptions. He created so many more opportunities for the New England Patriots on the offensive side of the ball to help get those wins and take away scoring opportunities for, for the opponents. So losing that and not really replacing it, I would be surprised if the Jets didn't make the biggest step forward of the four teams in the AFC East, and it wouldn't shock me if the Patriots made the biggest regression. I'm not buying into Mac Jones, not yet at least. All right, so thanks so much, Ryan, for joining the show. Uh, that, that does it for us today. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Yeah, Jets Talk 24-7. I'm on YouTube. I do live streams for post games. I do it for you know any big topic that comes up for the New York Jets, and I just make regular content videos around the NFL. So if you like that sort of stuff and you want to hear a little bit more, Jets Talk 24-7. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much to Ryan for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week, and until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.